0: And welcome in. You're listening to another edition of the Sports Cafe, December 1st, baby. You know what time it is. Christmas music, holiday music, whatever you want to call it. Uh, hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. For those listening at home, my name is Adam Rose, and I'll be tonight's host, joined alongside the usual cast of characters. We'll start with Ian Gus, who, you know, Ian, we've been talking for months about how the New York football giants are one of the worst teams in the NFL and here we are on December 1st and they are in first place. Right, leaving out their record on the rest of the division as a
1: historical terrible situation but yes it's uh, quite improbable, impossible you could say. They've beat in some of the other dregs of the league the last three weeks, squeaked by, I would add, but they are in first place.
0: And Mike Weil, you had the uh, the privilege of watching your football team get absolutely embarrassed on Sunday Night Football against your rival Green Bay Packers. How are you holding up two days later?
2: Listen, it's not much of a rivalry at this point. I think that the nation has now seen in two consecutive weeks what we in Chicago have known all along, which is this team needs to be torn down and rebuilt from the start. So I'm glad that maybe a national embarrassment will spur the ownership. Virginia McCaskey, 98 years old, going up to Green Bay can't believe she did that but maybe it'll spur them to make some much needed changes and rebuild
0: and mike mandell we had the unique pleasure of watching two of our favorite teams on this show get humiliated on primetime football and back-to-back nights of course the eagles lost a little bit closer game um on monday night football but uh, i think the final score was a little bit closer than the actuality of the game how are you holding up today
3: yeah i mean it, it was expected and I know, I know we'll talk about this more later in the show, but long term, I think this is the the wake-up call that they needed um, to finally start doing some things that they've held off for basically the entire season with the excuse that they were in first place still. Now, now Eden's team takes that crown. Um, so now, now there's no more excuses.
0: So we've got a lot to cover on tonight's show. Um, a practice squad wide receiver played quarterback for the Broncos this week. We had an NBA free agency, uh, all sorts of signings and, and star players trading teams. We had Nate Robinson's first ever boxing match. We had Nate Robinson's last ever boxing match. And a lot more topics here to talk about. But we'll start with the NFL and the topic that I alluded to just now, which was the Denver Broncos. So last week, they had three quarter, all three of their quarterbacks were exposed to coronavirus, so due to contact tracing. They were all ruled ineligible for the game, and the Broncos were forced to uh, call up, essentially, a practice squad wide receiver. That's not a practice squad quarterback. A practice squad wide receiver named Kendall Hinton, who played uh, quarterback in college very briefly, um, was you know a wide receiver on the practice squad. He, he had a sales job uh, that was in his LinkedIn profile, so this is a guy who never would have dreamed of playing in the NFL on Sunday, let alone um, starting a quarterback for the Broncos. But he ends up suiting up. The, the Broncos, of course, get destroyed. Um, Kendall Hinton went one for nine with 13 yards, through two picks, but pretty commendable effort for, for a guy in his position. Um, guys, what were your just overall thoughts? Did you get to watch the game at all? Uh, Mike Wow, I'll start with you.
2: I did get to watch a game. I was watching it through red zone because that was the only way I could get it, and I was tracking my fantasy players. Um, But I thought it was what I expected. I mean, the Broncos kind of got a raw deal from the NFL. Look at what they're doing with the Ravens and Steelers, and I know they're saying that the Ravens have an outbreak, and it's different than just the quarterback's room, and they call it situational. But I really thought that to have a guy who was on the practice squad never had played quarterback in the nfl period was a was not even the third or fourth string quarterback to to have to come in on basically a day's notice and play quarterback is hard for anyone uh let alone let alone someone that's not played a single snap of professional football at quarterback so i thought for what it was he he did a valiant job As you said, Adam, he had one completion, two interceptions, which is, I think that tied a record, actually. Ryan Leaf, sorry to harp on Ryan Leaf for everyone that forgot about him, he has the other record of throwing less completions than interceptions. So, at least Kendall Hinton completed a pass, and he isn't the only quarterback in NFL history to have thrown more interceptions and completions. So it's not his fault. And the Broncos had a great tweet after the game. They said, this is what happens basically when, when this is our quarterback, they, they rightly so are very upset with the NFL. And if I was the Broncos, I would demand to know why, they're so adamant about pushing this Raven Steelers game well they weren't even giving them the day they requested I heard rumors that Drew Locke would have played had they gotten another day to rest because I think it was Brett Ripon who had COVID correct me if I'm wrong but it was only one of the quarterbacks and the other it was just precautions so I don't understand why they didn't wait a day but this was really the first time we've been talking about it all year and this was the first time that COVID's really had an impact on an NFL game.
0: Now, I, I remember we, we spoke about baseball and when this was going on in MLB, and, we, and our main concern was about maintaining the integrity of competitive play. And this is the first time we're seeing with the NFL where that's been thrown completely out the window. Now, I don't, I don't remember reading the exact rules about under what circumstances they would cancel the game. It seems like at this point... They're, they're pretty much play at all costs, but things were so dire for the Broncos, they actually wanted to start their assistant coach at QB for the game, but he was not ruled eligible by the NFL for some reason. So it's really just unbelievable to think that this guy, Kendall Hinton, woke up on Saturday morning as a practice squad wide receiver, and he's being told, you're starting a QB tomorrow against the, the New Orleans Saints. It's, it's really just an unbelievable story.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's pretty clear what the NFL's motivation was. They, they, they bend over backwards for the Ravens and Steelers, which is, you know, a primetime game. Two of the, well, I mean, the Ravens are underperforming a little bit, but two of the, definitely the better teams in the AFC, both clearly competing for both a division title and a playoff spot. Both can go significantly further into the playoffs where, you know, they won't do anything to accommodate the broncos as you said they won't let him put their oc in his quarterback they won't move the game a single day to see if any players clear protocol um i think they made the decision they said okay listen the saints are going to beat them anyway so let's just let it happen um and now that obviously the nfl won't be able to publicly admit that that was the rationale behind the decision they're going to use the um, excuse that they have used about how um it wasn't technically an outbreak, so therefore they didn't have to postpone the entire game. But, uh, I mean, let's be real here. Um, that That is why the NFL was inconsistent in how they treated the Ravens-Steelers versus how they, they treated the Broncos-Saints. They they saw a game that was a foregone conclusion, that was not going to be a, a primetime game, and they said, well, who cares? It's, you know, if we move it, it's not like the result's going to change, so we're, we're going to force them to play the game we won't accommodate them and that'll be that
0: now the the nfl did send out a memo at the start of the season that said essentially that positional outbreak is not caused to cancel a game i don't think they ever anticipated it coming at the quarterback position but uh there, there was clear language in an nfl memo at the start of the season that if that were to be the case that they would they would play on essentially so ian you know Knowing that all the teams are playing by the same rules in the sense that, okay, like, it's, it's pretty much stay healthy and if guys get sick, next man up. Are you okay with that knowing that every team is playing by the same rules or is there something that the NFL can do or, or should be doing here to, to make this more fair?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there should have been some sort of a middle ground. I think you don't have to go ahead and postpone the game completely. But there is, you know, this level of wiggle room that we're seeing kind of almost the opposite with this Raven Steelers game that's become just a joke that it keeps moving, what, three different times or more, and it's screwing up future weeks. So, you know, I agree with the mics here. Like, you don't have to cancel it outright. But when you have the quarterbacks all injured, uh, or not injured, you know, out with COVID or, you know, we're in the presence of COVID, whatever the case was, why not take a day or two and kind of see if you can still make this happen? I think it's kind of making a mockery of the sport to have to play this game as is with no quarterback. And it's, and it's unfair to, you know, the, the Bucks and whoever else in the Saints division, that they basically get this complete walkover. It's like a forfeit, basically. And yeah, it, it just seems strange to me that they did kind of force feed it. I guess there was some discussion about the players weren't, you know, practicing proper protocol. So they were kind of, uh, you know, it was their fault. So they didn't want to let them off the hook. But it doesn't make much sense. That said, you know, we wouldn't be leading with this story. We would never be talking about this game otherwise. So it does kind of bring a unique wrinkle to the NFL, which so far, as you mentioned, Adam, it hasn't really. Been affected too much uh, Or at least publicly Who knows what's going on Behind the scenes It seems like they're really Just kind of ramming These games through On a week to week basis Um, Because technically Right like If all these guys Are getting COVID There should be like A two week quarantine But (laughs) it's basically Just next man up And we'll play the game With you know Whoever we can find To fill the roster out
0: Yeah I know the league (laughs) Desperately does not want To move the day To the Super Bowl But they do have Room to, to squeeze in An extra week of games I think after the last week of the regular season, they are prepared if there are multiple cancellations to play a week 18, but it sounds like the NFL is willing to do whatever it takes to play the games and and get through to week 17 and then from there you know cross your fingers for the playoffs. But I think if there's anything we've learned from this week, it's that the NFL is prepared to play on no matter what I mean if they if they're willing to send a, a team out there with with no quarterback um, you know, I think anything is fair game, so we'll see how it plays out. Um, you know, cases are spiking across the country, so this is not going away, but it'll be very interesting to monitor, and, you know, we'll see if the, the Steelers-Ravens ends up happening tomorrow night. Or tomorrow afternoon, I should say. well,
2: 3.40 on a Wednesday for, afternoon? It's going to be so strange. For those of us <laughs> with an interest, in, an extra interest in the Ravens-Steelers game for certain purposes, <laughs> fantasy purposes.
3: Yeah, they have got to make way for the uh, Rockefeller Center Christmas tree lighting, right?
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then for other purposes, by the way, I saw that the line for the Broncos game was thirty six and a half. It was by far the lowest for over under. It was by far the lowest that uh, I've seen. I thought you said the the, the, differ- the the point differential. Was... No, 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 no.
3: Who's the getting there? The
2: point differential. point differential was like fourteen and a half. <laughs> I think which I the Jets lower may or may <laughs> not have had right a higher point spread, but wow. I wonder what the lowest over/under was. Probably a game where there was a blizzard, but this probably was certainly one of the top ones for a non-blizzard condition game.
1: But do we know what their what the quarterback situation is for next week with the Broncos? I
0: think they, that they're okay. I think they. I think yeah. I think most of them practiced.
2: Yeah, yeah. That,
3: that's, why the, that's why. That's why it made no sense to me.
2: When, yeah. Right. Like Mike just said, it's crazy that they didn't let them wait a day. Like, what was that going to do? What was the difference?
0: Yeah. Now, I mean, obviously the situation with the Broncos was, was fascinating, but you look at the other side of the ball, the team that they, they face, New Orleans Saints, is also without their main quarterback in Drew Brees. And we've seen Taysom Hill. I know there's a lot of controversy around him in, in the fantasy football circles where uh, he has quarterback or he has tight end eligibility even though he's been playing quarterback. But the Saints are 2-0 and with him as a starter. Um, They've, they've played, he's looked really good he, he's, kinda, he's kind of like a Tim Tebow on steroids, um, doesn't pass a lot, he, he, he runs the ball a lot um, offers a, a much different dynamic than they get with Drew Brees but have you guys been impressed with the way Hill's played so far? Do you see him as a long term solution at QB? I know Brees is likely retiring at the end of the season so is Taysom Hill the future of the quarterback position for the Saints or is this kind of a, a one year wonder and, and the Saints look to go elsewhere?
2: I think it probably... Well, I mean, given Sean, Payton, Sean Payton's relationship with him, it could be more than a year. I think any other team, it's a one-year wonder because Hill seems like he's pretty one-dimensional. He obviously has that goal line power run down to a T, and he's unstoppable. But I haven't been that impressed with his quarterback play, but it could change. As he gets more experience throwing the ball, he could be their quarterback. And the way Sean Payton likes to run an offense you could conceivably have them start. They're 2-0. They're scoring points. So uh, I just think, though, it's too predictable with him in the game that you saw things like the Wildcat be tried and go out of style pretty quickly. To me, you need a a quarterback that throws first, and Hill Hill seems like a run-first quarterback by far.
3: Yeah, I mean,
1: go ahead, ahead. You got it. No, I think the league will figure him out pretty quickly. I think it's, you know, in the short term, I think it, it might work. That said, as uh, many of us are aware of with our teams, there's not that many great quarterbacks in the league. There's, you know, that upper echelon and then there's a pretty, pretty big drop off. So if he's able to kind of, you know, figure things out, I think he's 30 years old. I don't know how much you know of a future he has developing this late in his career. Um, I think they will definitely give him a shot just because of the lack of depth, you know, at the position
3: uh, in the league. Yeah, I'd lean against him being a long-term solution. I I was actually going to say the same, that I I think that his opponents will figure him out before he figures them out. Um, Right now, he's pretty green. Um, Opponents haven't had the time to prepare for him, watch a lot of film, and figure out how to stop him. But once they uh, determine that he's mostly a one-trick pony, that he doesn't throw out that often, they'll be able to figure out a way to stop him. Um, I think he's like 30 years old, so... I don't know how much room he has to grow into a multi-dimensional quarterback that he would need to be if he was to start, especially for the Saints.
0: I have to admit, I'm very surprised that they've made the decision to go with Taysom Hill. I mean, you can't dispute the results—they're 2-0. His job is really to hold down the fort if and when Drew Brees comes back. But I am very surprised that he was—he was, he was um, you know, chosen to fill in over Jameis Winston. You know, Winston is a guy who. He was a former number one overall pick. He's very inconsistent, I think is the word I described him, or the way he played in Tampa. But he's a guy that certainly has talent. I mean, his big issue is is the interception, and, and pick sixes in particular. But I, I would have really liked to have seen him, uh, you know, with a chance to play with this kind of offense. A, because I think he's talented. But B, I think a guy like him is a lot more realistic as far as a, a future quarterback of the Saints than a guy like Taysom Hill. So... I guess if you're playing to win now and and Hill gives you that spark and he can hold the fort down, I get it. But you have Winston on a a short-term deal. Why not see if he can play?
2: Well, I think it goes back to the dynamic with Sean Payton that Taysom Hill has been there for years behind Drew Brees. He's absorbed all this information from both Payton and Brees, and he's a better game manager. You're safer with Taysom Hill in the game than with Jameis Winston. And I think that after Winston came in, when Breeze got hurt, Peyton seemed uneasy about the way he played because, again, he was erratic and he had, I think it was the most interceptions ever last year or close to it. So you have a guy who Sean Peyton trusts with the offense and Taysom Hill. I'm not surprised that he's starting over Jameis Winston because I feel like in the back of his head, Peyton for years has been wondering what the team would look like if he gave Taysom Hill a shot as a starting yeah. quarterback. I mean,
0: I, I, look, I guess you play to win now, but if Taysom Hill is not the future quarterback for the Saints, it may be a missed opportunity as far as getting a, a good look at Jameis Winston in, in real game action and seeing if he can if he can improve with this kind of talent around him.
2: I'd be interested to see if they re-sign him next year because, to me, it's a placeholder till Breeze comes back. They just right. want to stay afloat. They're yep. thinking Breeze comes back. If Breeze is out for the year then it's a different conversation. And you could be right. But maybe they do see Taysom Hill as more of a future than Jameis Winston.
0: Yeah, it will be interesting to see. But Saints are number one seed right now in the NFC, so um, can't, can't really question the moves that they've made so far. So with that, I want to turn over to the picks segment. And oh just to recap where we stand as far as the standings, your boy had a 4-1 week. My record on the season is now 26 and 17. I have a five-game lead over Mike Mandel, who's at second at 21 and 22. Mike was two and three last week. Ian and Mike Weil are both tied at a game behind Mandel. Uh, Ian, you went two and three last week. Weil, you were three and two last week. So, uh, creating a little bit of separation in the standings, but we still have what do we have? Four or five weeks left in the Five weeks left in the season plus the playoffs. So still time for you guys to catch me, I guess. But um, So let's dive in. Um, we have our four teams all playing this week, and then we have our game of the week, which is going to be the Rams at the Cardinals. Uh, I'm going to start with the Bears, uh, who looked probably the worst. Actually, uh, the Jets probably were the worst, but the Bears are the second worst of, of all of our teams last week. The Bears are hosting Detroit. Detroit's a three-point uh, dog in that game, but Mike... I'll start with you, uh, if you want to talk a little bit about last week's game, 41-25 loss at Green Bay, and then uh, follow that up with your pick for next week's game.
2: It's more of the same every week, I say it, since the 5-1 and one start, which they pulled me in a little bit, I thought we'd at least make the playoffs, but nope, um, they are incompetent on offense. Mitch Trubisky came in and the same thing happened that has happened with him in the past. Too many turnovers, too little consistency, and not enough plays made. And it's just a mess. I mean, they have to... I think Ryan Pace needs to be fired. The thing that I go back to is I could have been general manager and Deshaun Watson would be the quarterback of this team. I could have slept until a minute before that pick, not traded up. And drafted Deshaun Watson. That is an egregious mistake that set the Bears franchise back ten years, maybe even, because we still don't have a quarterback. Plus, we could have been in the Super Bowl with the defense that the Bears had a couple years ago. All they were missing, Cody Parkey, wouldn't have been an issue because if Deshaun Watson's quarterback, you have a big enough lead in that game, I believe, where you don't need a game-winning field goal. So. Ryan Pace needs to go. Matt Nagy is a really nice guy. Seems like a good guy you want to have a beer with. But in terms of coaching, he has absolutely no idea what he's doing. And I still think he could possibly be a good coach in the league. Just not with this team. Just not with this personnel. And overall, this is the game. It, It happened last time in 2014 when the Bears absolutely got smoked at Green Bay. And this had the same feel where... Even though the score was 41-25, to 25, 26, it was a lot less close than that. So I hope that the country has seen what I've seen, and it has spurred a embarrassment to the point where Virginia McCaskey, the McCaskey family, makes wholesale changes again. So, I feel
0: like these, these issues are always magnified a little extra when they're on Sunday night or Monday night football. Exactly. When the whole
2: country can see it. I think it really starts to resonate. That was my and
1: thought. I bet right. they don't get a single primetime game
2: next year. No, they're not going to, and nor do they deserve one. The rest of the they had a primetime game the week before too. They they lost against the Vikings, so they have just been awful, and the country has seen it. And I was saying for weeks, you know, I might have the worst team maybe besides the Jets of the four of us, and you guys were all Did you say
0: maybe besides the Jets? Well, I mean, at this
2: point... Definitely besides the Jets. (laughs) All right, so, but at least worse than the Giants for sure now, and possibly worse than the Eagles. I mean, the Eagles didn't look good last night, but overall takeaway, hopefully the Spurs a rebuild. In terms of my pick for this game, I want to just say I'm an idiot for picking the Bears last week. I thought maybe Mitch Trubisky being in... It's a primetime game. It's an eight and a half point spread or whatever it was. We'd maybe keep it close. We didn't. So I deserve to lose that. I'm going to pick the Lions here just because I'm so annoyed with the Bears. And the Lions are getting points. The Bears haven't shown me anything in the last five weeks plus. So And the Lions will probably have revenge on their mind because they blew the opening game of the season, which they should win. So I have Lions with the points.
0: Hey, Mike. Did you know that the Bears are the second team in NFL history to lose five games in a row after winning five of their first six games? To start I didn't.
2: That surprises me. Who Who are the others?
0: Well, it's one other team. I don't. I don't have the answer. But oh. <laughs> the Bears are the second team, apparently. I will look that up.
3: According to Elias Sports, I saw the same thing earlier today.
0: Uh, Mike Mandel, uh, as. Uh, person whose team also suffered a humiliating primetime loss uh do you see the bears bouncing back next week against the lions how do you see this game shaking out uh,
3: i i don't um especially uh, given that the lions are even getting a couple of points i'm gonna have to go with them i thought um i, I did pick the packers uh, last week even to beat the uh the spread but i expected more from trubisky because that was his chance uh to come in and reclaim his role as the Bears starting quarterback he didn't even have to be stellar he just had to be okay Um, because Foles obviously hasn't really shown too much success in in the past several games I think maybe his first two were good and then since then hasn't been Um, but Trubisky wasn't able to clear that bar Um, so I don't think they're going to have all that much going for them and I I have to pick Detroit with the points Yep. yeah
1: yeah, I mean, I know we've been been hating on the Bears, rightly so. Detroit uh, isn't much better. If 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 they are, they are one and four in their last five. Had a putrid showing on Thanksgiving at home against Houston, giving up 41 points. Um, but in this case, I will agree with the Mikes mostly because I went along with Lyle and picked the Bears last week, and they just. You know, are playing like they're dead right now. So I will, until I see them turn things around, I will also go with the Lions.
0: Very interesting. I, I'm i going to go against the three of you here. I'm going to take the Bears.
2: Um, oh, we're going to win nice now. Three. Congratulations <laughs> on breaking the losing streak.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, obviously the Bears have struggled. Offensively, they look terrible. The Lions are, are just as bad. They were embarrassed on Thanksgiving as well. Uh, look, I mean, I think a team that wins five games in a row in a season has talent there. Um, you know, they're two very mediocre teams, but hey, why not? I'll take the Bears minus three. Our second feature team will be, and we'll talk briefly about them: the New York Jets, who lost last week twenty Featured. to three.
1: You're using that word lightly, right?
0: Well, is... I mean, of our four favorite teams, whatever you want to call it, yeah. They, you're right; they don't deserve that term. Uh, Jets lost twenty to three to the Dolphins. Sam Darnold came back from injury, uh, had pretty much all his weapons for the first time all season, didn't make a difference. Uh, team was just completely lifeless. But i got to say, guys, I'm feeling pretty excited if I'm a Jets fan right now. This, this 0-16 season is very possible. I, they're, they're getting closer. Um, they got five games left. Three of them they will definitely lose. I think the only two games in question, you look at maybe the Browns, in week 16, and then maybe the Patriots in week 17, who at that point might have nothing to play for and could be benching all their players. So I'm I'm getting excited here. I mean, the thought of Trevor Lawrence and the number one pick, um, I am all in on 0-16. So at this point, everything is going according to plan, and I don't see things changing uh, next week. Uh, The Jets are 7.5-point underdogs against... The Raiders, who were surprisingly blown out by the uh, the Falcons last week. Um, I will point out the Jets actually had a surprise win last year against the Raiders at home, uh, where the Jets blew them out, uh, a game that I attended with a good friend of the show, Andrew Travis. Shout out to AT if he's listening. Uh, but as far as next week is concerned, I do not see a repeat of last year. I'm taking the Raiders. I'll take them uh, plus seven and a half. Uh, Ian, how about you make your pick?
1: I will agree. I think that game last week, though, with the uh, Raiders getting blown out in Atlanta uh, was maybe the most shocking. Atlanta has not played well. I thought the Raiders were finally on a roll, but I see them turning it around here, and, uh, again, picking the Jets is just, how do you even root for them, and how do you expect them to score any points? So I will also go with the Raiders.
3: And this is the Raiders' chance to bounce back after uh, two really poor games in a row. Uh, seven and a half points isn't nearly enough for me to pick the Jets here. So I'm going with the Raiders.
0: The Raiders desperately need this game, by the way. I mean, they, you look at them two weeks ago where they had the Chiefs on the ropes for the second time this season. They let that game get away from them, and then obviously the, the blowout against Atlanta. So they now find themselves out of the playoff picture if the season ended uh, today. Well
2: wow. yeah i'm gonna agree with all you guys the raiders beat the chiefs earlier this year i think they can manage to cover the seven and a half points here so i agree with all four all three of you all four will be unanimous sorry jets
1: the only thing i would say about this game is it might be pretty rainy and cold on sunday here in new jersey um so maybe it's like a you know 10-3 game or something crazy like that, super low scoring, and the Jets somehow squeak by. But it did
0: it did rain last year for the Raiders Jets game, and and the Jets put up a ton of. They, I think they had their highest okay. scoring game of the year. But yeah, huh. that, it's a much different team. Doesn't make not going to happen. <laughs> uh, so let's move on to uh, team number three, the New York Football Giants, the the first place New York Football Giants, and Ian, I'll let you have your uh, your moment of glory here. But the mm-hmm. Giants eked out a two point win over the Joe Burrowless Bengals um, Danny Dimes did go down with a hamstring injury but Ian I'll let you uh, give your, your uh, recap of the game and, and thoughts on next week's game versus Seattle
1: yeah they always make you sweat I think this game I think that I saw some stats around this was like the highest uh, the most betting action and also the most people favored the Giants last week and of course that did not work out with the Bengals covering You know the the giants you know they're they're a decent team i guess you could say in a terrible division their defense is pretty strong they got a big sack at the end of the game but the offense is very sporadic now with um you know danny dimes down for it seems like at least one week with a hamstring injury you never know with those uh colt mccoy came in and you know they kind of changed the offense doing some wildcat formations I don't you know some people I've heard are somewhat like high on him that he's gonna be able to hold down the fort for a couple weeks I am very skeptical he hasn't I don't think played in a couple years and even when he did play he was not very exciting to watch so um, again if this was a normal well a lot of ways this year would be different in a normal year but if the NFC East was playing like a average division the Giants would be pretty much eliminated but in this very strange 2020 they are in first place and know it it is making it a little more interesting obviously actually watching the games paying attention rooting for them to win not lose (laughs) Um, so in that sense it's been fun Uh, and you know I know Adam has been pretty high on the coaching staff all year you have to give them credit I mean they've kept the team seemingly you know involved and interested and and playing hard for them and um, you know the teams that they beat though are are some of the the dregs of the league as I mentioned earlier now their schedule is gonna get harder until the last couple weeks Um, I see this game as a a letdown game, you know, going cross-country to Seattle. Uh, Seattle hasn't played its best football, losing lost last week, right, to uh, San Francisco. Um, Well, no, they they
0: beat... That was two weeks ago. They beat uh, Philly on Monday night.
1: Right. So, you know, the, the Seahawks, I feel like, haven't hit on all cylinders yet, and I could definitely see this being the week, especially with the Giants likely to play a backup quarterback. I know we have the line as... I saw it at nine and a half, um, but some sites it's like not even on the board right now because of the quarterback situation. Either way, I will go with the Seahawks. Hope I'm wrong, but I'll take the Seahawks at home.
0: Mike Mandel, uh, your Eagles now need the
3: Giants to lose in order to make the playoffs. Actually, they They don't because they need to not make the playoffs and know that they don't have a chance. (laughs) (laughs) But. what do you you see happening here so for me it's going to depend on the quarterback situation Um, because the Giants have only been blown out once this entire season Um, all all their losses besides the one against the 49ers have been relatively close and I think if Daniel Jones were starting they'd be able to uh, keep it within nine and a half points Um, but
1: the spread would probably be like four or five if if there was no injury, would be my guess.
0: Okay, well, well, let's let's assume that that uh, Danny Dimes is not playing. I think he. I thought he's been ruled out. I thought McCoy is the guy this week. I think I
1: sure. saw fall was what they were saying. Okay, so they're they're
3: assuming that that Colt, Colt McCoy is going to be the guy. Ah, uh, I'm still going to have to go with the Giants. They're getting nine and a half. I I, I think that that'll give them the win. Okay, Mike.
2: Yeah, it's a hard thing to know. I I think that Jones is going to be out this week. They said he had a strained hamstring, which usually forces quarterbacks to miss a little time at least. So everything that Mike said, I agree with, but it, it's just hard for me to see the Giants keeping it close against the Seahawks if they have Colt McCoy as their quarterback. Um, the Seahawks defense is pretty bad, but they held the Eagles down and I don't think the Eagles are going to be worse on offense than the Giants with no Jones and no Saquon Barkley. So this is one of those trap games where usually the team that has the points with the defense would, you would pick them. But given Russell Wilson, I like the Seahawks to win by more than nine and a half. I think it's a blowout. So I'm going to take the Seahawks.
0: I think I've picked the Giants probably like five weeks in a row it feels like and as Ian mentioned before I love how competitive they've been I know that it's taken them a while to figure out how to win but they've done so I mean look you talk about the the strength of the competition you can only beat the teams you play right so you got to give the Giants credit for bouncing back and turning the season around Um, tough game to pick without the quarterback you know, with with McCoy in, I think the Giants will be very run heavy and that may not be a bad thing. I mean Wayne Goldman Jr. has played really, really well. I know the Giants have struggled to score points, but uh, the defense has been really good and Seattle's defense has been surprisingly poor. So I kinda use last week's game against the Eagles as a as a benchmark for maybe how the Giants will fare against Seattle. So the Eagles have been dreadful. I mean I've I've had a chance to watch them the last few few weeks and I've been so unimpressed by them. And they were able to hang around there with Seattle. So I, I know they scored a touchdown late, but, hey, it, it still counts for the spread. Um, so I'm actually going to take the Giants here. I don't, I don't expect them to win, but I do expect them to keep it close, like they have most games this season. They, they generally tend to play to the level of their competition, whether better or worse. So I'm going to take the Giants here once again, plus 9.5. And,
1: and, Adam, they are 4-1 and one against the spread their last five, so that probably speaks to some of your, your wins.
0: <laughs> there you go. All right, and our, the last of our four featured games, we have Green Bay against Philly. The, uh, the Eagles, as of today, are nine-and-a-half-point dogs. Um, Mike, I'll, I'll turn the floor over to you. If you want to vent about uh, last night's Monday Night Football loss against Seattle, take it away.
3: <laughs> yeah, hey, nine-and-a-half is uh, it's pretty generous to the Eagles. Um, there, there was a lot of stupidity going on last night. Uh, first off... We heard that Jim Schwartz, um, the defensive coordinator had apparently told DK Metcalf pre-game that um he he coached Megatron, he's no Megatron yet. Um why he would say that uh is beyond me um because all that's going to do is um is pump Metcalf up and make him prove that he is Megatron or whatever Schwartz was trying to tell him. Um they also committed a couple of really stupid penalties against Metcalf, um, a couple of unnecessary roughness, cheap shots early in the game. Um, Jalen Hurts was put in for all of one play. He completed the pass. They pull him out, uh, put Wentz back in, um, end up uh, turning it, having to punt the ball at the end, and you don't see Hurts uh, go in the rest of the game. And, and then there's also. So some talk through the grapevine that Doug Peterson um, has said that he does not care if he loses his job. Um, so so the team's a dumpster fire right now. Um, Long term, th- th- this is a good thing because we, we've gotten to the point where they can no longer continue to make the excuse, hey, we're still in first. We're still in this. Uh, they're not in this. The, the next three games are against the, the Packers, the Saints, And the Cardinals, uh, they have as good a chance at winning even one of those games as they do at winning the Super Bowl this year. Um, I I think at this point they're on pace to finish at least as badly as they have done since 2012, the worst they've done since 2012, and if they lose out the season, the worst since 1999. But as I said, I think it's a good thing because it's a wake-up call to ownership that they need a full-scale makeover for the team, um, both staff and, and personnel on the roster. Um, starting with the training and medical staff, who have been, I think, the worst in the league the past couple of years, uh, but then going down to the coaching, the the lack of offensive line, the lack of receivers, um, potential quarterback situation, it's all got to change at this point, and nothing will be a better signal than finishing last in the worst division in the NFL. Um so long story short, the Packers are definitely going to beat them by more than nine and a half points. I'm going to go with the Packers, and that they're actually playing in Green Bay as well. Um, I should note that.
0: Okay, and Ian, I'm sure you'd be thrilled with that result. Do you think it's the same way Mike does?
1: I do I do I don't know if I agree that finishing in last place in this year's NFC East is worse than a regular year Since all the teams are bad, but either way the Eagles have shown, you know, absolutely nothing It's amazing what happened to Carson Wentz. It's just I mean, he was You know one of the better quarterbacks and now he seems Borderline, you know shouldn't even be starting in the league. Yeah. I will take the Packers at home I have you know confidence in Rodgers uh destroying let's call it the Eagles on Sunday.
0: Mike, how about you?
2: Yeah, I agree with Mike again here. I'm going to take the Packers with the point or giving the points because to me the Eagles and Bears are pretty similar and the way that the Packers just destroyed the Bears, I see no reason why they can't do it again. So, Packers.
0: I'm with you guys here. I'm taking the Packers. Uh, Eagles have just been so underwhelming. And they they have talent on that roster. I mean, let's be real here. They have grossly underachieved this season. Uh, The one thing I will say about the Eagles is the the two-quarterback system is not going to work. I think you have to either say Wentz is the guy, he plays the whole game, or say, look, let's sit him on the bench for a week and see what Jalen Hurts can do. But I think Going back and forth like the, you know, the Jets used to do with Sanchez and Tebow, it's a disaster. I think someone once said, if you've got two quarterbacks, you've got no quarterbacks. So Eagles have to make up their mind and, and figure out what they want to do moving forward. I'm taking the Packers. And then lastly, we'll, we'll cover this game real quick before we move to baseball. We have the Rams at the Cardinals. The Cardinals are three-point underdogs at home. And this is a really interesting game because the NFC NFC West. I know we've we've spoken about probably being the most competitive division in football, but at this point of the season, the standings are so close that one win here can be the difference between a really high seed in the NFC in the NFC conference or out of the playoffs completely. So the Cardinals, I believe, they were the two or three seed, um, you know, just a week or two ago, now find themselves right on the cusp of the playoff spot, so this is a huge game for them. The Cardinals are 6-5. and five. In third place, the Rams are 7-4. and four. In second place, then the Seahawks are a game ahead of them. So uh, for this game, I am having a really hard time figuring out just how good either of these teams are. I mean, the Rams have had some really good wins and some ugly losses. The Cardinals have been a little bit inconsistent at times. Um, you know, Kyler Murray has looked fantastic, like an MVP at certain points. Um, you know, last week against the Patriots was a bit of a hiccup for him. But I think this game is enough of a toss-up where I'm going to take the Cardinals simply because they're getting points here. I can um, go next. Yeah, yeah, sure. Go for
1: it. Yeah, no, I agree with a lot of what you said. I'm a little surprised the Rams are favored on the road. Both teams have been inconsistent of late, Uh, you know, both losing tough games this past week. The Cardinals have lost three out of their last four, but they're home. It's the teams are kind of, to me, almost interchangeable at this point. So whenever that's the case, I'll go with the the home underdog and take the, the Cardinals to either win or, you know, lose by a point or two.
3: Yeah, I'm I'm surprised that the Cardinals are getting points in this matchup. Um I think the teams are roughly even in skill, um and they both had the same type of overall solid but inconsistent seasons. Um I, I, I've gotta choose the Cardinals here.
2: Yeah, for me I keep picking against the Rams and the Giants when we've had the opportunity to pick the Rams and then the Giants and it, it kills me every week and I still don't learn. But I agree with all of you guys here. I, I you know what? I'm in last right now, so <laughs> let's go Rams. Let's do it.
3: I, I gotta got
2: I gotta make up ground. So I think it's a coin flip. Like you said, the Rams defense has looked incredible and Kyler Murray's still learning. He's inexperienced. So if Jared Goff can put together some sort of decent game, I like the weapons they have. Their triumvirate of running backs has been great and Cooper Cup is probably the best possession or one of the best possession receivers in the league. So you know what? Rams have killed me. They might do it again, but if I can gain a game on all three of you, let's go.
0: Mike, Mike, Mike. You are you're just digging yourself a dig- a deeper hole here. The play <laughs> here the play I... here is to copy my picks and you'll salvage yourself a second place no, finish. But no, you I want, I want the Rams
2: I want the Rams <laughs> minus three. I think they're gonna do it.
1: So I have one stat to, to back while up actually in their th- These teams match up the Rams Cardinals games. The Rams are five Oh and one in their last six against the spread.
0: So there we go. anyone want to change their picks? Nope. Nope. Should we all switch to the Rams <laughs> <laughs>
3: after Wyle. that? Stat,
0: that's a compelling stat. I don't know.
3: It is, but I'm sticking to this.
0: Yeah. I'll, I'll stick with it too. Well, we'll see what happens. Um, uh, should be another fun week of football. Hopefully, uh, no more emergency quarterback scenarios. Um, but certainly one of the more entertaining weeks of football we've had uh, since the season started. So uh, with that, I want to shift gears. Let's talk to baseball, one of my favorite times of the year when you have an owner who's worth thirteen billion dollars, and it'll be hot stove. Um, you know, I'm sure we'll we'll get into it in in, in future podcasts, maybe where we think certain players are going to go, but there's been a lot of talk about some of the key names out there, and just given the fact that so many teams have lost money, or every team has lost money because of what's going on with COVID, that a lot of players with uh, big salaries uh, may be expendable this offseason. Then, of course, there's the typical uh, free agents who are available as well. So I'll just start with just one question for tonight's podcast, and that is, of the players who have been publicly stated as available, which guy... Will be the most impactful in the 2021 or not next season. Which guy is the most impactful player that can be acquired? And the names I'll throw out here are Trevor Bauer, DJ LeMayhew, Lindor, Arenado, Real Muto, and George Springer. So, any of those guys, or if there's somebody else I left out, which of these players is the most impactful player that can be acquired this offseason? I'm going to start with. Uh, Mike Weil, because I feel like the White Sox have been uh, one of the teams that supposedly may be looking to land one of these big name players. So who who of that list do you think is the biggest catch?
2: I mean for me, Bauer, I- I'm reading this book The MVP Machine right now which talks about the Astros which obviously in hindsight we we know more about but it also talks about Trevor Bauer and his path and the innovations that he single-handedly has brought to baseball with his training techniques and the insight into analytics, and he uses a camera, the Edgertronic, that now a lot of teams use, but he was the first one, and it shows how a grip affects a pitch. So overall impact in terms of innovation, talent, the fact he's coming off a Cy Young Award, to me Trevor Bauer, unquestionably, is the most impactful free agent on the market. Wow. And I think, Adam, you'll like this. The Mets are going to get him because Steve Cohen wants to make a big splash, you have DeGrom and Bauer at the top of your rotation. I wanted the White Sox to get him. I don't think with Tony La Russa as the manager and also Jerry Reinsdorf as the owner that they're going to shell out big bucks like that. I honestly think they might make a trade for Blake Snell, but you didn't ask me about that, so sticking well, to the if question. You think,
0: well, but Snell is one of the guys who's available, so if you think he's the, the, the ten, biggest... No, injury,
2: I I think Bauer's bigger than Snell.
0: So, so interesting, uh, because... I. I'm a little undecided on Bauer. I guess would you have hesitations about giving a guy like Trevor Bauer a long-term deal say six or seven years and he's a guy let's be real here he's been inconsistent throughout his career he's he's a bit of a wild personality which which could be good or bad in New York and then you look at this past season yes he was great he won the Cy Young but a it was a much smaller sample size and b you look at the the teams he was facing, the lineups he was facing. I mean, the NL Central was probably the worst offensively in all of baseball. He had a lot of games against the Pirates, and so I, I you know, I, I went back and I looked at his game log, and yes, his numbers are really impressive. But then I was like, okay, like where are your games against like the Yankees and the Braves and like I don't see it. although I, I will say he, he did he did pitch well against the Braves in the postseason so I'll give him that. So
2: you're asking two different questions here so the most impactful question which was your original question yes. to me Trevor Bauer the most impactful because he's he's a Cy Young award winning pitcher I think he's only going to get better and everyone should read the MVP machine because you'll see he developed a slider in the offseason two off seasons ago And figured that pitch out and since then he's been one of the best five pitchers in baseball statistically so with that in mind if you can add an ace who I think is going to stay at a similar level maybe regress a tiny bit that in my mind is more impactful than a position player because pitching wins championships you get in the playoffs you want that ace that you can count on in game five six seven whatever it is to put away the series so you add it to a lot of these contending teams' pitching staffs. You got a formidable rotation with, let's say, a Degrom or Giolito, and then you have Bauer slotted in one or two in those rotations. I think that's more impactful. If you're asking me who would I sign long-term, the names that we have, just for the listeners, are Bauer, DJ LeMahieu, Francisco Lindor, Nolan Arenado, JT Realmuto, and George Springer. Of those names. I would go either with Lindor or Arenado. I think Lindor, because of the position scarcity, that Lindor to me is, if not the best shortstop, one of the top two in the game right now. So if you were to ask me, of those players, who would I sign to a long-term deal? It would be really hard to decide between Lindor and Arenado, but I would choose Francisco Lindor. But
0: the thing with those two guys is you if you want a Lindor or an Arenado, you're going to have to give up some prospects for them.
2: Right. So, so but, you but if, if you're saying which of those players do I want okay. for a seven year deal, Lindor. But in terms of free agency, who's most impactful? Bauer. Okay.
0: Uh, Mandel, uh, one of your boys is on that list, JT Realmuto. He's a free agent. Uh, he's played really well with the Phillies. It's unclear whether or not they'll be able to afford to keep him, but uh, who do you like most from the list, and do you see RealMoto re-signing with the Phillies, or is he going to be out of their price range?
3: I I think there's very little chance that they hang on to him at this point. Um, I think he could even be more successful on another team, a more winning team. Um, I'd even say the same for Didi Gregorius, who I believe is also going to be a free agent um, after a pretty short stint with the Phillies. Um, I think at this point they're going to be in pure rebuild mode. So I think they both go. Um, One name that wasn't mentioned, and I I do think that starting pitching is going to make a bit of a comeback next season, even if it wasn't what it once was. Um, I'd like to think that um, this past season was more of a blip than anything else. Um, I don't believe that Tanaka was on your list. Um, And if I'm not mistaken, he's a free agent. Um, He, like many other Japanese players, came over to the U.S. a little older than most— American baseball players start right because he played there first I want to say he was 25 26 when he came over here um, but he's still got his stuff and a, a lot of Japanese players they, they tend to have um, a little longer longevity than your average baseball players so I think he even at his age he, I think he's like 31 32 um, I think he's still got several good years left in him uh, he, I think he's one that maybe isn't being talked about as much as Trevor Bauer but could make almost as big of an impact. I, I do agree with, with Mike, obviously. He, he is the biggest-named pitcher out in free agency. He's going to get the biggest payday, but um, I, I think Tanaka could be a strong second here. Um, I, th- I think he's going to be sought after.
0: And, Ian, I think this is one of the rare off-seasons where the Yankees will probably be on the sidelines for most, if not all, of the big names except for maybe DJ LeMahieu. But what are your thoughts on the list, and do you think the Yankees ultimately re sign DJ
1: yeah, I mean, hopefully they're able to re-sign him and Tanaka to uh, Mandel's point. Although, I don't know if I'd put Tanaka in the same league as Bauer. I mean, Tanaka's fallen off a bit the last couple of years. I mean, he's a steady, I'd say, middle-of-the-rotation guy. He's not really an ace anymore, but he's still a, a great guy to have. Um, so, I think, to, to Weil's point, there's a few different ways to look at this. If, if you're kind of looking at a list of names, you know, starting a team from scratch, what player would you most want to have? basically in a vacuum. And then you could go about it. Given the contract situation, is it a trade or a free agent? What do you have to give up? There's kind of different ways to look at it. So I think in a vacuum, I'd probably take Lindor. I think he's the most, you know, let's say superstar worthy player. He's younger than I think all these other guys has probably the most long term potential ahead of him. I know he plays a position that, you know, sometimes you don't always age gracefully at shortstop, but He's still very much in the prime of his career. Was he 27, 28? Um, but you know, you're gonna have to give up a lot to get him, and that's where it's it's a question of is it really worth it? With Bauer, it's just money. And to to Wiles' point, um, to have a front of the you know line rotation guy, if you can get him at four or five years, I'd go really strong. If you have to go to six or seven, that's where it might you know you might want to hit pause, given that he's I think 30 or 31. Um, I understand he reinvented himself, but you know players lose velocity as they get older I don't know that he's going to be good, you know four or five six years from now LeMay is an interesting one. I mean you hear the Mets are very much in on him obviously with the Cano uh, Steroid situation that probably ups their interest and helps the Mets out Um but to see the Yankees lose LeMayu to the Mets will be very tough to swallow, I'll tell you that much. So hopefully that doesn't happen. Uh, but again, LeMayu's on you know the backside of 30 as well. So I wouldn't want to sign him for more than maybe three, four years. Um, and then just one other point on Arenado. I was just looking at his, because he has a long-term deal already with the Rockies. So he has an opt-out after yep. next season, but I don't know that he's going to take that given what he's owed in the following season. Five years, so he's got six more years on his uh, on his deal. So you'd be taking on a you know a huge contract. He's he's a great player. He did have a, a bit of a down year last year, but you know I think you can't take in the twenty twenty stats too much into their overall you know career numbers because of how crazy the season was. So it, it's really a great list of names, but. You know, sometimes with these with these free agent markets, do you get into a bidding war for those top names, or do you look to find you know kind of value somewhere in the middle, like a D.D. Gregorius, who you could probably get on a one year deal and can be pretty serviceable at short. Um, So it'll be interesting to see, and hopefully we start to get some movement. I know Adam, that's one of the reasons you wanted to hit on it this week. Um, Hopefully, you know by next week's show, we're getting into almost mid December. uh, We'd love to start seeing some signings and have some discussions around this.
0: Yeah, and I'll weigh in here real quick. A lot of people say, as a Mets fan, okay, like who's the who's the one guy you want them to sign? Although it sounds like they probably going to sign at least two of these guys. And the answer is, the guy that I really want is not a free agent. I think it's it's got to be Francisco Lindor. I mean, he is a superstar in every sense of the word. He's young. He's exciting. He hits for power. He can steal bases. He's a great defensive player. I mean, he's a superstar. He's a, he's the kind of guy that is built for New York. And I think. For the Mets in particular, um, you know, if you, if you were to sign a guy like George Springer to play center, that essentially makes a guy like J.D. Davis expendable. And the Mets already have two young shortstop prospects they could offer to Cleveland, plus maybe another prospect. I think it's a natural fit as far as a trade is concerned. So while you do want to hold on to your top prospects, if the Mets can give up some of those kind of major league players right now and maybe only one prospect to get a guy like Lindor. I think you have to do it. I think it's a no-brainer. But as far as Bauer, I was not sold on him at the start of the season, but I've kind of come around to it a little bit. Uh, Sandy Alderson had a great quote um, where he said, baseball is, is an entertainment business. You know, baseball's supposed to be fun. And I, it really kind of put things in perspective to me. Yeah, you want to win. You want to be competitive. You want good contracts. But you're also there to watch guys who you enjoy watching play, guys who are gonna, you know, make you smile every five days or every, you know, if it's a starting pitcher. And Bauer, to me, he's electric. He brings a lot of energy. Um, he's a lot of fun to watch. He, he could be a bit of a head case in New York. I, I hope that's not the case. Um, I would be very into Bauer if they can get him on a short-term deal. Maybe they offer him. Maybe there's a chance they can get him on a two or three-year deal. At, at Crazy annual value. Um, you know, I I think anything over four or five years, I'd be a little bit hesitant. Isn't it rumored he might want to do like a one-year crazy deal. Well, he had this. He he made a. I feel like he made a, a bet with a friend once that he lost, and I think as part of the bet, he agreed to take one-year deals like his entire major league career. So I don't. There's no way he's going to stick to that. Um, but he's he's definitely an oddball, so nothing would surprise me there. But he's you know. He's uh he, I mean if he if he pitches like he did last year he would certainly be a game changer and while I would worry about a long term deal um and the, and the potential for that to backfire, I've also never seen a championship in my lifetime so if they win one up front and the contract is terrible uh, the last four or five years, I would sign up for that in a heartbeat. So, uh, it'll and I be- think he.
1: He's the kind of personality. If it if it's allowed, he could fill the the stands at Citi Field, right? I mean,
0: he, yeah. You know, I mean, but... he's got a lot of uh, Noah Syndergaard in him, and you know, between him and and Marcus Stroman, I mean, they've got a lot of really great personalities. It it almost kind of reminds you of the 1986 Mets, who of course won the World Series. So maybe that's what this team needs. They need a little bit of attitude. It's a it's a new regime. Uh, maybe you know, you bring in a Bauer, you bring in a Lindor, who's got a lot of energy. I mean, maybe. You know, this is part of a new identity for the Mets.
3: And you shook your sugar daddy's there dad to pay for all of it, so you're good on that front. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right. Um, I was going to talk NBA. I know we're running low on time, so we, we'll, we'll, we'll cover NBA free agency next week. Uh, in the spirit of the holidays, uh, I did want to have one Thanksgiving-related question, um, and that is, who is the biggest turkey in sports in 2020 this is completely open-ended it can be an obscure player on one of your own teams it could be a commissioner it can be whatever Um, biggest turkey in sports this year Uh, mandel let's start with you
3: Uh, i was going to go with an entire division the nfc east Um, i think that they're going to end up being the worst sports division in history it gets talked about week after week after week Um, usually A lot of the chatter tends to be around who's the best, who's the most competitive, who has the best talent, who's the most exciting to watch. Yet so much talk has been devoted to the NFC East, and it's fascinating, you know, given how bad they are, um, that that's exactly why they're generating so much conversation. It's known for being such a cutthroat division, too, where all the teams have very deep rivalries with one another. Um, And and not too long ago, it was one of the more competitive divisions, but um, it, it has been... Infamous this year for for all the wrong reasons, so I think I, I've got to award that entire division the uh, Thanksgiving turkey.
0: Ian, who's your biggest turkey?
1: Um, I don't think anyone will disagree with this one, but I'll go with Kevin Cash for uh, removing <laughs> That's a good Blake Snell. That's a good yeah, you know, way too early, the extremely quick hook. Not only that, going to a depleted bullpen that hadn't performed well. It was just an obvious first guess move. Didn't make any sense, and and the stakes obviously, you know, have to play into it. That happening in a World Series game, a deciding World Series game, that's just something that I don't know. He's gonna have to win a couple championships to have that not be kind of first on his ultimate resume when he retires.
2: While I'm gonna go with Rob Manfred, he's been getting a fair share of criticism, deservedly so first he called earlier in the year the World Series trophy a piece of metal which obviously it is but when you have the players in your multi-billion dollar league playing for that and you're the commissioner you don't want to do that second of all he mismanaged COVID we had a lot of conflicting reports on baseball's bubble versus when they would start spring training and how the season would look and thankfully it worked out but I think that he could have handled many, many things differently. So Rob Manfred gets my vote.
0: And my final thought, uh, also a relatively, uh, he's a new turkey, um, Robinson Cano. <laughs> um, I mean, this is a guy who had one of the worst contracts in baseball. Baseball, of course, your, your salary is guaranteed, of course, unless you are suspended three times for PEDs, in which case you're banned from the sport for life. Uh, this is a guy who has lost everything. Uh, he loses his salary for this year, he loses his reputation, he loses his Hall of Fame chances. Um, you know, it's it's kind of a weird spot where it's a it's a really bad mistake on his part, but as a Mets fan, it's, I kind of feel weird saying it. it's kind of great news for them. It opens up $24 million in payroll, um, it gives them a lot more flexibility as far as spending on free agents this offseason, um, and I would be very surprised if um, if, if Cano ever plays another game for the Mets. And, and the other thing he, he, he ruins is his chance at 3,000 hits. I know he was probably going to get there if he played out the rest of his career with the Mets, but I think with only two years left on his contract after this, uh, there, there's no way he's, he's, he's getting 3,000 hits. So uh, he is, without question, my biggest turkey of 2020. Uh, so I am going to pivot to final thoughts here. Uh, While I'll start with you.
2: So this just is hot off the press. One of my favorite NBA players in the last 15 years, Joakim Noah, may be retiring. He was waived by the Clippers tonight. And I'll never forget, he was drafted in 2007 after being a two-time national champion at Florida, wore a really cool tuxedo. I think it was like an all-white tuxedo. And his hair obviously was crazy. And then he played eight seasons with the Bulls. He was... A two-time All-Star in 2013 and 2014, three-time All-Defensive Performer, and the Defensive Player of the Year in 2013, 2014, and his personality and the way that he held those Bulls teams together that often were very undermanned. And of course, Derrick Rose got hurt twice. Uh, Noah really was the the rock for those teams. So, congratulations to Joakim Noah on a fantastic career. And everyone should watch the Jimmy V Classic tomorrow at 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. Central. The Illinois Fighting Illini, number five in the nation, will take on Baylor, number two. So you're getting a great matchup. So uh, that's my final thought. Mandel,
0: final thought.
3: So I know we didn't get to talk about basketball this week, but um, I- I'll use my final thought to talk about the Sixers, who, who right now are doing exactly uh, what the Eagles should be doing. Um, ever since they brought in Darryl Morey, who had recently left the Rockets and I think had even considered retirement at that point. Um, he's been making all sorts of power moves. Um, not only undoing some of the damage that, that the Sixers have done to themselves over the past two seasons, but possibly putting them in an even greater position than they were before last season. Um, you know, first he finds a way to, um, get rid of the Horford contract. Uh, I, and This is coming from somebody who likes Horford. I think he's a decent player. He was just a, a poor fit for the team and, and was too old to be getting the contract that he got. Um, he found a way to send him off and, and instead get Danny Green in his expiring contract. He frees up a ton of cap space there. Um, he brings in Seth Curry as a role player. The Sixers um, had, had always succeeded in part thanks to their role players. They basically got rid of him before last year. Um, And then they bring in Kerry and um, the new coach, Doc Rivers, who I know, Adam, you've got a ton of faith in. But nonetheless, um, you know, he he is a guy that has had to manage superstar talent. And I I think he's the right guy to possibly rebuild the chemistry between Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, um, who I think no one could argue uh, has been lost in, in a lot of last season. So... I'm excited for this basketball season. I'm a lot more excited than I expected to be at the end of last season when I thought we were – a lot of us were feeling down about the Sixers' prospects. Um, I think they can make something out of themselves this season.
2: Yeah.
1: Turning back to baseball is going to bring up uh, maybe not the most exciting thing, but something that we can at least um, keep an eye out for, and that's the non-tender deadline tomorrow night at 8 p.m., there's a lot of talk this year about it being a much bigger deal than than typical because of, you know, the the hardship, financial hardship that so many teams have faced. Uh, so this deadline means if they, you know, basically move forward with a player, they go to arbitration, they're often, you know, going to be paying that player more than they paid them this past year, not tendering them. They're basically a free agent immediately. So there's a lot of rumors around some big name players, even Chris Bryant, which again, I don't think's going to happen, but um, Gary Sanchez of the the Yankees has been ridden about as a candidate. I don't know that any of these big name moves are going to happen, but I think we're going to see a lot of players, and it'll be interesting from a free agency standpoint to see you know how this affects some of the, probably not the top tier names that we were talking about a few minutes ago, but I think it will have an effect on the the middle to to lower tier crowd. And um, there'll probably be some some good uh, you know bottom of the barrel bargain opportunities for teams to pick up. Uh, you know, players off the scrap heap that are maybe looking for a change of scenery. Um, so at least we have uh, some base, actual baseball news to look forward to over the next 24 hours, and maybe there'll be something to discuss on next week's podcast.
0: Yeah, people have been saying that the, the non-tender deadline should pave way for you know the the official start of free agency and teams being able to make decisions there. My final thought: I'll also touch on basketball since I know we didn't get to cover it on the podcast. Um, I'm going to give talk about two teams real quick. Number one, the Lakers, wow. Um, I mean, they, if you thought they were good last year, they are going to be much better in 2021. They traded for Dennis Schroeder. They signed Montrez Harrell away from the Clippers. Um, they also picked up Wes Matthews and Marcus Gasol. Uh, and really the only players they lose are Rondo, who they get a better version of in Schroeder, and Dwight Howard, who, you know, they replaced with a better, a better younger version in, in Montrez Harrell. So the Lakers, I can be really good, and you start to think, okay, LeBron's got four championships, he wins one next year, he's got five, and then, look, he's, he's one away from Jordan, so it'll be fascinating to watch that. And then, speaking of Michael Jordan, uh, his Charlotte Hornets continue to make uh, baffling decisions year after year. They signed Gordon Hayward to a monster, monster contract. Um, and mean, you look at some of the guys that they've given big money to over the years, between Hayward and Terry Rozier, or Nicholas Batum, just awful signing after awful signing. Um, I was excited to see that they drafted LaMelo Ball. Um, I think he's going to be fun to watch. I don't think he's going to be a winning player at the NBA level. But, um, you know, you, you just kind of wonder at what point Michael Jordan, the executive, kind of channels the competitiveness of Michael Jordan, the player, and gets, you know, fed up with the constant losing and the poor draft picks um, because it just seems like there's been – continuous bad decision-making from the top, uh, you know, management uh, with the Hornets. So uh, the Hornets, you know, might be more fun to watch with the mellow ball, but certainly I don't see them as being contenders anytime soon. So that's going to do it for another edition of the Sports Cafe. From Mike Weil, Mike Mandel, Ian Gus, my name is Adam Rosen. We will talk to you next time. Peace. I'm out of here.